Uh, hey, real quick note, the live stream still can't hear your mic. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't want to interrupt that song selfishly because it was great. Uh, they said it's just very, 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 very quiet. Anyway, hello, everyone. Ron Nathan fixes that over there. I'm going to say good morning. Uh, my name is JR, teaching pastor here at Catalyst. And uh, I'm going to do something that is going to be a little weird, but uh, we just finished a summer series uh, where we talked about the movie Encanto. And we're starting a new series today. Uh, as you can see, it's called Black... Well, you can't see that. It says Welcome. But it's, it's called Black Sheep, and this is the graphic for it. Uh, and so... Uh, what I actually want to do, though, is, is read to you from an article that I wrote about Encanto for Sojourners magazine. Uh, I actually wrote this last year. And when we first started the summer series, this was kind of what was in the back of my head. But we actually changed, we went in a different direction and, went and did Enneagram and spiritual transformation and things like that. And so as we were starting this, this new series that we're starting today called Black Sheep, I kept coming back to this idea uh, that, that is present in this article. And so uh, I, I, started to, um, I started to copy from it, and I was like, wait a second, I wrote this article. I'll just read it. It's fine. Um, that way I don't plagiarize anyone, especially myself, right? Uh, so, so I wanted to read this because I think it's going to actually really frame really well what, what we're going to be talking about, not just today, but throughout this series. And uh, if you haven't seen Encanto, if you're a guest with us today, or if you went through the whole summer series and decided this movie just wasn't something you needed to know the plot of, that's fine. No judgment, right? Um, but uh, I wrote the article for people that hadn't necessarily seen the movie yet. So here we go. Uh, my friend Micah pointed out that Encanto doesn't have a villain. Which is interesting because Disney villains are almost as, po as popular as the princesses, and they even have their own board game. Uh, as an an and the animated movie Encanto, which you can stream right now, it, it would seem ripe for villainy. Uh, the magical, madrigal family at the heart of the film begins to lose the magic that made them special. So surely someone is to blame, right? But no one lurks in the shadows, twirling mustaches, absconding with magic. Instead, the story of Encanto is one of families, systems, and prophets, one that can serve as a warning and a balm to churches that are struggling to cope with the changing world. Uh, in her invigorating opening number, Mirabelle introduces us to her family, led by their abuela, Alma. Uh, each person in the family has a magical ability. Uh, but Mirabelle doesn't have a gift, and at her ceremony, when each person's gift is revealed, she receives nothing. So what's wrong with Mirabelle? Well, she begins to notice cracks in the casita, the magical house that the madrigals call home. When she tries to point out the cracks, Alma dismisses her concerns. There's nothing wrong with la casa madrigal. The magic is strong. So Mirabel sets out to try to understand what's happening, a quest that leads her, her to her tío Bruno. Bruno can see snippets of the future, a gift that's made him unpopular and driven him into hiding. That's why we don't talk about Bruno, right? Uh, Bruno confesses that he went into hiding because in a vision he witnessed the end of the family's magic and Mirabelle was at the center of it. And so as she dives into the secrets of the magic, she begins to see cracks in her family. Uh, no matter how much her sister Luisa does, she never feels strong enough. Isabella longs to be more than just her beauty. Cousin Dolores longs to be seen specifically by the man to whom Alma has decided Isabel will be married. And Bruno, well, again, we, we don't talk about Bruno, right? Mirabelle begins to suspect, to suspect that the magic mirrors the health of her family, and the problem is the family's health. So she raises this concern to Abuela, who snaps, I don't know why you weren't given a gift, but it's not an excuse for you to hurt this family. 
Abuela's anger is familiar to anyone who's been part of a toxic group, a family, a business, a church, right? The more established and successful a system becomes, the harder it is to remain open and responsive to change. So again, I I bring up that whole idea this morning because we're going to be talking about the role of prophets, the people who God raises up to tell the truth about how we're doing, right? And again, how, how a church is doing, how a family is doing, how a culture is doing. That's the prophet's job. And because of that, particularly in unhealthy systems, prophets tend not to be very popular, right? No one likes the person who's pointing out the problems. In fact, the prophets can often be uh, accused of being divisive or creating division uh, because they're telling the truth, because they're pointing out the cracks, And so uh, today we're going to talk about what a prophet is, uh, how a prophet is called, what that calling looks like, and we're going to look at what you do when your your faithfulness to God and and our quest for a a true, deep, robust faith actually leads us to stick out uh, and be the black sheep even among people of faith. Uh, And all of this is going to be grounded in our deep connection to God. Uh, That's one of the things we'll see about prophets right out of the gate, right, is that prophets are called by God uh, and sent by God. And so we're going to begin this morning by singing about God, by worshiping God, by celebrating the God who calls us, the God that we can trust even when it seems like everyone around us thinks we're crazy. So uh, if you would join me, whether you're on the live stream today or whether you're here in person, I'd invite you to stand with me and I'm going to hand it over to Nathan as we sing some songs together. Everyone, so, so we are beginning a new series today. The series is called Black Sheep, and we are talking about the experience of not fitting in specifically because of your faith, which is, I mean, I grew up in church, and so that's something I always heard, right, is that, you know, your faith's going to put you at odds with people, and following Jesus is going to be costly. Um, But I think over the last several years, a lot of us, and I mean us, like not just the us, like the royal we or whatever, but like a lot of us here at Catalyst, both, again, both folks local and folks virtual, uh, have had the, the experience of feeling alienated from other believers, from people who, uh, who claim the name of Jesus, uh, and that could be, you know, that could be your families. I know a lot of us have that kind of experience with our families that's been very painful. It could be with maybe a pastor that led you to Jesus or, uh, you, know, a, you know, Sunday school teachers or, you know, deacon or something like that in, in your church growing up. Uh, or it, it could be just people that you know. Uh, I, again, I know a lot of us have lost friendships over the last few years. And, and it's, I mean, there are always a lot of reasons that things like that happen, but over the last several years, it seems uh, to be, I don't know, escalating or heightening because of our faith in Jesus. It's like the things that we believe to be true about Jesus and the way we're trying to be faithful to Jesus are what are alienating us from a lot of the people of God. Um, and, and that can be whether... Uh, whether we see them refusing to stand up for racial justice or the kinds of policies and politics that they support uh, or, you know, like a strong anti-science bent or, you know, whatever it is, uh, we, just, we, just see, uh, we just see this and it's, we see this widening gap. And it's enough, I think, for a lot of us to think maybe the problem is me. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm the crazy one, you know? Uh, and so I, because I keep... I mean, I experience this myself, but, but beyond that, I keep, I, I keep 
running into this pain in y'all, you know, in, in our conversations, in uh, the things that I, that I see y'all posting or that I hear you talking about. I know that this is a, a common experience for us. And so uh, I wanted to take us for a couple of months into the book of Jeremiah, because Jeremiah is uh, called the, the weeping prophet. <laughs> And so before we get to Jeremiah specifically, I want to talk more broadly about what a prophet even is, because I think this is one of the uh, most misunderstood categories in the Bible. I think when most of us think of a prophet, we think of, uh, I mean, and I'm going to say that I'm going to overstate this for the sake of uh, the rhetorical point, right? We think of a fortune teller. I don't think we actually imagine that the biblical prophets had crystal balls or whatever. But when we think of a prophet, we think of someone whose primary job was to tell the future. So again, Growing up in church, I always heard that the prophet's main job was to, to make all of these predictions about Jesus so that we would know when, when the Messiah came, right? And the reality is that that is not actually what a biblical prophet did. Uh, my favorite way to say this is, is my, my good friend Tom First, who's a pastor in Memphis. He preached here a few months ago uh, when he was in town. Uh, he said one time on social media, and I just I took a screenshot of it, and I've just saved it because I thought it was such a beautiful way to say this. He said, the biblical prophets read newspapers, not tea leaves. And, and what he meant by that was that the, the role of a prophet in the Bible was to speak truth to the powers of the day, whether that was the political powers or the religious powers or the cultural powers. The, the prophet's job was to tell the truth about how God saw what was going on. And so that often looked like, and specifically in Jeremiah's case, what it definitely looked like was when the people of God were living in such a way that God was not pleased with them. Uh, it was the prophet's job to highlight that. Hey, king, what you're doing right now, this alliance that you're making or this war that you're waging is not aligned with what God wants for God's people, right? Hey, priests, the kind of religion that you're doing that ignores the orphans and the widows, that tramples on the vulnerable, that, that uplifts the rich and oppresses the poor, this is not what God has for you. And so it's, it's no wonder, honestly, that people who care about justice and equality in our world have long looked to the biblical prophets. So prophets might make a prediction about the future, but uh, it was never just for the sake of fortune-telling, right? Uh, the main reason was actually in order to prove that what they were saying was true, right? They would deliver this uh, scathing message to a king, and then they would say, and so you know that this is the Lord, this is about to happen, right? And so, then, so they're telling the future, right? They're saying, this is, this is about to happen. But then that was so that when that thing happened, the king would know, okay, that's, re that's really from God right? Uh, the, other, the other possibility, and this is the thing I think we see a lot more when we look at prophecies about Jesus, was that they were painting a picture of what God was going to do in the distant future, a, a vision of hope and encouragement that was for the people who were suffering in the present day. So a great contemporary example of this is Martin Luther King Jr.'s I Have a Dream speech, right? Uh, in that speech, which we all love and we all love to quote in January, right? He talks about a reality of racial justice in America, where, where various races live in harmony and equality. And we know that that was, not, that was not the reality when he gave that speech. It's still not the reality today. And he did not think it was. That was the whole point. That's why he called it a dream, right? But he gave us language to be able to reach for racial equality in a day where people were still being oppressed. So that, that's, that's another thing you see prophets do a lot. It's, it's not really telling the future, right? 
we don't think that Martin Luther King was like, I have a dream, and in 2027, this is when it's going to happen, right? That, that, if, if you think that's what he was doing, you're missing the point of what he, what he was doing, right? So, biblical prophets, their job is to speak truth to power, to describe God's preferred reality so that God's people can see it, and then they can respond. They can either embrace it or they can reject it, which, spoiler alert, they usually reject it, right? <laughs> that's, that's why theologians call Jeremiah the weeping prophet, because he would say things and then that, you know, it was bad. So, uh, a little bit of historical context about Jeremiah. Jeremiah lived, he, he was born a few decades before the Babylonian Empire conquered the southern kingdom of Judah. So here's our biblical timeline. Jeremiah is way over there, down there, before that break there. Um, he lived in a time of incredible political tension, okay? The kingdom of Judah was a small a uh, relatively weak kingdom overshadowed by a massive, em- the Babylonian Empire, the, the most powerful empire in the world. And for a number of years, Judah maintained its independence either by paying large sums of money to Babylon, saying like, see, you don't need to conquer us, we'll just give you all the money instead, right? Or uh, by trying to make alliances with other nations around them. And a lot of those alliances involved adopting those nations' gods, worshiping those nations' gods. And that's what God didn't like. That instead of trusting Yahweh, the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Judah, to keep them safe, they were putting their trust in all of these other foreign gods. And so in Jeremiah's work, he, he starts as a prophet really young, which we're about to see, uh, But he prophesied for years and years and years, constantly warning, hey, the way you're going about this is not going to ultimately keep you safe. This is not going to protect you from Babylon. In fact, God's, because of your faithlessness, because instead of trusting God and honoring the covenant that your ancestors made with God, you're worshiping all of these false gods and making all of these foreign alliances, God is actually going to allow you to be conquered by Babylon. Again, why he was not very popular, right? No one like bummer, dude. No one likes a bummer, right? No one invites you to their cocktail parties because no one wants to hear you going on about how we're all going to get conquered. So Jeremiah was, again, wildly unpopular in his day. But it turns out he was right, which is why we still have his books, right? Why we still have his prophecies. And so Jeremiah actually lived through the Babylonian conquest, And he was not one of the people that was taken away into exile. He was one of the people that remained behind. And so as we read through the book of Jeremiah, we see a man whose very faith in God is what made him an outcast. And we see him living through the apocalypse that he promised would come if they didn't change their ways. And then we see him trying to help God's people make sense of life on the other side. So he's... it's. He's a fascinating figure in history and really unique in a lot of ways. And I think he's going to be really healing for us to listen to his words and to consider how he lived and what his faithfulness cost him and what it looked like for him to remain faithful to God. So that's what we're going to do today. At the beginning of the series, at the, end, at the outset, we're going to read through chapter 1, which is his call narrative. It's where God calls him. And we're going to see what it looks like when God calls a prophet. Um, because that's a lot of what God is doing in us in this time, too, right? Is calling us to be faithful in a culture that has largely been faithless, where we see a lot of the people of God looking outside of the way of God 
for safety, for security, for power, hoping that we can prevent the fall of Christendom if we will just grab onto all of these other things that promise to keep us safe and to make us powerful. So, if you have a Bible, turn with us to Jeremiah chapter 1. Uh, if you grab one of those Bibles out of the back, that's on page 446. Uh, and again, this is, this is a call narrative, and one of the things that theologians talk about with call narratives is that they're included not just because we, we like origin stories, but because the call narrative actually becomes a call for the whole people, not just for the prophet. So, yes, this is about Jeremiah, but it's also about us. So, uh, we're going to read beginning in verse 4. Uh, of uh, this, and we're going we're gonna to read this kind of in chunks, and I want to stop as we go along and make some observations. So beginning in verse 4, here's what God said to Jeremiah. The Lord gave me this message. I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as my prophet to the nations. O sovereign Lord, I said, I can't speak for you. And the Lord replied, don't say I'm too young. For you must go wherever I send you and say whatever I tell you. And don't be afraid of the people, for I will be with you and I will protect you. I, the Lord, have spoken. Immediately, Jeremiah's first response is, I'm not qualified for this. And in his case, it's because he's too young. Okay, I, I want you to imagine, if you will, that you're in Jeremiah's place and God has called you to this Herculean task. Why do you think you're unqualified? Maybe it's because you're too young. Maybe it's because you don't have a Bible degree, right? You're like, well, I don't know enough, right? People start quoting Bible verses at me, and I just kind of go, oh, I don't know. Maybe it's your past, right? Maybe you feel like you don't have any credibility because of whatever's in your past, and you say, well, if people knew everything that I've done or everything that I've been, they would say, well, you don't have any business talking about God. Whatever it is, I want you to hear what God said to Jeremiah. Right? Before I ever called you, before I ever even made you, I knew who you were. And I had set you apart. Paul does a really similar thing in Romans where he talks about... uh, the predestination stuff that people love to fight about. If you don't know what I'm talking about, it's not worth looking into, okay? Just believe it or not, people found a thing to fight about, okay? I know you're shocked by that. Um, but what, what, what Paul says about God there is that before God ever began to create, God ordained, God decided that God would have a group of people that we call the church, right, who would represent God to the world. And that has nothing to do with my qualifications or your qualifications. It has everything to do with who God is and what God has decided to do, which is what God says to Jeremiah, right? Jeremiah says, I'm too young. And God's like, I'm sorry, you must not have heard me when I said, I'm God and I decided you're going to be a prophet, right? This has nothing to do with your ability or your qualifications. This has everything to do with who I say you are. Can you hear that? Can you Take those objections that you just thought of, that you just felt, that you just came up with, and hold them out to God and hear God say, yeah, it has nothing to do with that. I know all those things about you already. And I've already decided before those things were ever even true about you, I already decided that you're going you're gonna to speak for me. 
That's a powerful statement. And, and it's, it's foundational to everything that's going to come. Every time Jeremiah has doubts, every time he has pains, every time he suffers, it's going to come back to God is with him, God is protecting him, and God is the one who ordained him as a prophet. Let's move on. Then the Lord reached out and touched my mouth and said, Look, I have put my words in your mouth. Today, I appoint you to, to do what? To stand, stand up against nations and kingdoms. Some you must uproot and tear down, destroy and overthrow. Others you must build up and plant. This is a passage, uh, by the way, that uh, we've had in front of us a couple of times over the last few years at Catalyst. Uh, Sandra Van Opstel preached about it uh, a couple years ago when she was uh, one of our guest preachers. And then Sonia uh, Brown on our preaching team actually did this, I think, earlier this year. Maybe? I didn't, I should have looked it up, right? But recently, recently, she preached about this passage as well. Uh, I think it's something that God really wants us to, to remember. And here, God says to Jeremiah, right, what is your job going to be? It's going to be sometimes to uproot and tear down, and then other times to build up and plant. As prophets tell the truth, Sometimes that truth is there's rot in, in this house and it needs to go, right? Uh, what I remember when I went uh, after Katrina hit New Orleans, I went down several times to do some rebuilding and stuff. And the houses, uh, if, if you wanted to salvage a house, it had to be gutted. You had to tear out everything in the house and you had to tear out the drywall or the plaster, whatever the walls were, all the way down to the studs. And then you had to tear the boards up all the way down to the floorboards, the whole house. Because when Katrina hit, those houses sat underwater for three weeks and then sat in the New Orleans weather, which, as you know, is very temperate and mild and never hot and humid, right? Um, right, there, right there in the Gulf. Uh, sat in, in the New Orleans weather for like nine months or sometimes a year or more. And black mold got all in the, in the bones of the house. And so the, the only options were either to completely tear the entire structure down or to gut it kill all the mold, and completely rebuild it from the inside out. And, and this is what God is saying to Jeremiah, right? There are things in the world that are going to have to be torn down and uprooted. There are weeds growing in among the people of God. There are, there's rot in the bones of some of our systems and institutions and our structures. And so part of the prophet's job is to identify those things. But God said also there are things that need to be planted and to build up. As the prophet is working, there are these moments of life, these signs of life that need to be nurtured, where you need to clear everything away and attend and be careful and gentle because, you know, things are delicate, particularly when they're young or when they're in the early stages. And I, uh, it's annoying that God, that's, that's the extent of the uh, instruction God gives there, right? There's not, God's not like, here's a handy rubric for deciding when things need to be torn down and when they need to be built up. Here's a handy rubric for when you need to, to pull weeds and when you need to plant, right? It, it is an invitation to wisdom. But I think this is it. As, as we as a church engage in this prophetic task, uh, we are going to be accused of being divisive for telling the truth, uh, for pointing out things that are rotten, for pointing out weeds that have grown up even among uh, the crops of God's people. Uh, and I'm sure we will also be overlooked when we are trying to do those still small uh, spaces of replanting and rebuilding. And so uh, I want to pause here 
hand it back over to Nathan and, and sing another song because uh, it's, worth, it's worth remembering that we cannot do any of this unless, as our passage opened up, we're grounded in our identity in God, unless we are deeply rooted in who God is and what God is doing in the world. All of this begins with our connection to God. And so I want to pause here and go back into uh, a song with Nathan. Would you, uh, again, if you're in the building, stand with me. If you're at home, stand or sit or whatever, whatever is uh, good for the space you're in. Um, so, so far, uh, we've seen in Jeremiah's call narrative a couple things. Uh, first is uh, that everything is grounded in God's connection to us, God's relationship to us, God's definition of us. And then in second is that the role of the prophet is going to involve both the, uh, the tearing up and the, or the tearing down and the, and the pulling up, and then also the building up and the planting. Uh, a couple more things I want to observe here that are just uh, going to help us as we move through the next few weeks uh, with Jeremiah. So I want to keep reading, uh, moving on, beginning in verse 11. Uh, so then the Lord said to me, look, Jeremiah, what do you see? And I replied, I see a branch from an almond tree. Lord said, that's right. It means I'm watching. And I will certainly carry out all my plans. Full disclosure, I would have not gotten that from an almond tree. Okay? But Jeremiah did, and that's great. Uh, then the Lord spoke to me again and asked, what do you see now? And I replied, I see a pot of water spilling from the north. Yes, the Lord said, for terror from the north will boil out on the people of this land. Listen. I am calling the armies of the kingdoms of the north to come to Jerusalem. I, the Lord, have spoken. They will set their thrones at the gates of the city. They will attack its walls and all the other towns of Judah. So there's a couple of images here, right? An, an olive branch or an almond branch. And then the one that I personally find a lot more provocative is this pot of water that's boiling over. I don't know if you cook a lot. I do. And pots boiling over is frequently a problem for me because I forget it. And you turn around, and you, you turn around because you hear it, right? And you're like, uh-oh. And then you turn around, and there's just water, like, pouring out everywhere, right? Getting all over the, the rest of the stove and all down the front of the stove and on the floor. And this is the image, right, that God gives Jeremiah of the armies of Babylon that are coming, right? He says, coming from the north are these armies, and they're just going to rush over and around and through unstoppable, like, water. Uh you're going to see throughout the next several weeks that Jeremiah uses really compelling images, okay, like this one, like this pot of water that's boiling over. And there's a reason for that, okay? But, but something that's part and parcel of many of the prophets is these really, uh, today there's a, there are a couple of business guys named Chip and Dan Heath. They wrote a book called How, uh, Made to Stick, which is actually, I love it. We use it in our preaching outline and all that kind of stuff, but it's about ideas that just stay with you. They get stuck in your head and you can't get rid of them. Um, the prophets loved using these sticky images, okay? And that was because they wanted their messages to be unforgettable. They wanted to be something that would stay with you, that you couldn't quit thinking about, that, it, that when you just saw things in the course of your normal day, they would return to you. And that was for this reason. This is the last, the last bit I want to share with you. God says, listen, I am calling the armies of the kingdoms of the north to come to Jerusalem. I, the Lord, have spoken. 
They will set their thrones at the gates of the city. They will attack its walls and all of the other towns of Judah. I will pronounce judgment on my people for all their evil, for deserting me, for burning incense to other gods. Yes, they worship idols made with their own hands. So get up, prepare for action. Go out and tell them everything I tell you to say. Do not be afraid of them, or I will make you look foolish in front of them. For see, today I have made you strong, like a fortified city that cannot be captured, like an iron pillar or a bronze wall. You will stand against the whole land, the kings, officials, priests, and the people of Judah. They will fight you, but they will fail. For I am with you, and I will take care of you. I, the Lord, have spoken. See, uh, when you're like first starting out, you got the pot of boiling water and it's overflowing and it's going around, you're like, oh, this is a prophecy about how the people of the north are the danger, right? And then very quickly, God pivots and says, no, actually your biggest problem is going to be your own people, right? I'm setting you against them and they will not conquer you. They will not come at you. This is, the, this is the pain that Jeremiah faces is that he loves his own people the way God loves his own people. He doesn't want to see them destroyed. He doesn't want to see Babylon descend on them and conquer them and take everyone off into exile. What he wants is for them to remember their covenant and to come back and to worship God. And that's, that's, that's the content of everything he says. There's always at the heart of everything Jeremiah is saying this deep, uh, this deep love for his people and this desire for them not to receive the consequences of their faithlessness. And yet, here's the rub. God promises him at the outset, they're not going to listen to him. They're not going to listen. This is part of why the prophets use these compelling images, these images that get stuck in your head, because they know that the people aren't going to listen. The people are not going to heed their calls for repentance. The people are not going to believe them when they talk about how they're being faithless to God. And so the prophets craft these really clever, clear, compelling images that haunt the listeners. They get stuck in their heads. So that even as they deny the prophet's words, even as they deny the message coming from God through God's prophet, they can't shake it. It's, it clings to them. Like when you go for a walk in the woods and you get those burrs all over you, like you can't shake them off. Like that's the, word, that's the word of the prophet. It's meant to be a nettle. It's meant to be like the pee under the mattress that keeps the princess from falling asleep. It's meant to make us, it's, it's meant to make us uncomfortable so that we keep returning to it over and over and over so that we cannot escape God's call for us to repent and to turn. I share all of those because it, the unfortunate reality is most people don't turn, most people don't repent until after they've suffered loss. That's how it wasn't in Kanto. I mean, honestly, to go back to that, right? Abuela does not listen to Mirabel until after the magic is gone and after the casita has fallen. And then she's able to see the ways that she poisoned the family. Then she's able to repent and turn to Mirabel and offer a genuine apology. But it's, it, it's, not, it's not until after all that happens. And then Mirabel, the prophet, 
is able to turn to her abuela with an incredible amount of love and grace and say, nothing has been broken that we cannot fix together. I want to end with this image, friends, because I think many of us throughout the series are going to feel a lot like Jeremiah. We're angry, we're hurt, we feel like nothing that we're saying is landing on ears that want to hear, and and the truth is we're probably right. And there will come a reckoning, there will come a fall, there will come a time when those same people who ignore and shame and belittle now will see the error of their ways. It probably will not happen until after a loss, but they will come back and they will want to offer genuine apology, genuine repentance, which happened for Judah, right? We do see it took a couple of generations, but we see the people of God finally returning and saying, we sinned and we repent. And I think the true hallmark of a prophet is one who is able to open our arms and receive that and say there's nothing that's been broken that we can't fix together. We can only maintain that deep love if we are truly connected to God because this is the heart of God. That no matter how prodigal we've been with God's love and God's resources, God is always waiting to accept us back with open arms. God is always taking us back. And so it's it's with that that I want to take us into this time of communion together. I know some of us here very much are resonating with Jeremiah. I know probably some of us maybe feel more like the people Jeremiah is talking to. We feel maybe more like Abuela. We see the cracks in the house of God, and we think it's our job to, to repair them, even at the cost of the very thing that we say we're protecting. So wherever we are, I want to offer us a space to come to this table where Jesus invites us to come together and to receive his love. Uh, Before we come to the table, I'm going to lead us in a a prayer of examine. I'm going to offer you some questions and give you a chance to reflect prayerfully on them. And then we're going to all receive communion together. Again, that goes for you virtual folks too. And because we are at the beginning of a series together, because we're embarking on a journey together as a church, a lot of these questions are, are going to be questions we return to. So it's okay, if, it's okay if in the minute of silence I give you to prayer, pray and reflect on this question, your answer is still like, oh, I'm not sure. That's okay. Okay, we've got a couple months to work through this together and to return to these questions. Okay, um, these are questions you can take with you and take with you into prayer. Um, so here's the first one I want you to consider. Where do I find myself at odds with people who claim to speak for God? Now, what ways do I feel inadequate to speak for God?
Finally, how is God calling you to be faithful in the coming week? Let's pray together. God, you have gathered us this morning uh, to hear the words of your prophet Jeremiah, uh, and they are words that are a call not only for him but for us too today, to be faithful to you even in a world that seems to have gone mad. We confess uh, that we feel inadequate to be your prophets, to be your spokespersons in a number of ways. Um, we feel so unqualified, and, and yet we have seen this morning that uh, your call has nothing to do with the qualifications we bring to the table and everything to do with who you say you are and who you say we are. And so we come to your table this morning in humility, trusting that the one who calls us is faithful to empower us and to equip us and to send us. We receive these elements this morning, and as we do, we pray they become a spiritual food for us, that in receiving them, we might too receive the grace to trust you and to be your people in a time uh, where that seems increasingly difficult. Thank you for gathering us as a church this morning. Thank you for filling us with your Holy Spirit. Thank you for sending us into a world that needs your love now more than ever. We offer these prayers when we approach your table this morning in the name of your son, Jesus. The night that Jesus was betrayed, he shared this meal with his disciples. And at that meal, he gave them a loaf of bread that he had broken. He said, this is my body broken for you, take an idiot. When the meal was finished, he gave them a cup of wine. He said, this is my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Take it and drink it. And so now we too eat and drink. And as we do, we remember Jesus' death until he returns. Friends, as you're going today, I uh, want to say thank you to all of you who are giving here at Catalyst. And I want to make sure you saw that our, our end of summer giving announcement, we put it in our Facebook group and in the newsletter. So if you haven't gotten a chance to watch that, please do. Uh, and then also, of course, as always, thank you to all of our volunteers. It's so wonderful to work with you every week to create this space, uh, even, you know, on a Labor Day weekend when I know a lot of folks are uh, headed for the hills or maybe at this point on their way back from the hills. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, so, but again, thank you all. Uh, now, a little bit of homework. Uh, again, as I've mentioned a couple of times, we're going to be in Jeremiah for a couple of months, and so I want to invite you to, to find a spiritual practice. Uh, that can be the sacred reading or the prayer examine, like what we just did, or, or meditation. And just find something uh, to, to really dive into over the next couple of months. Uh, because again, we're going to be talking about a lot of hard issues. We're going to be talking about uh, a lot of uh, those really compelling images that kind of haunt us. And uh, this all only works if we are deeply connected to God. Um, if everything is, is flowing out of our connection to God and, and God's love for us and God's love for the world. And so uh, our spiritual practices are the best way to do that. Uh, if, you don't, if, you're not, uh, if you don't know spiritual practices, if you haven't done them a lot, there is a spiritual practices guide. If you're here in the building, it's uh, in the little holders on the wall as you walk out the door. If you're virtual with us, that should be in the link description uh, below the video. 
Um, but some real easy practices to do there. And you can start with Jeremiah chapter 1. We did basically did the whole chapter today, so you can find some verses in there that you, where you really felt God speaking to you. If you want to do a sacred reading of those or pray through those, or whatever. But um, yeah, find some time uh, throughout the next week to, to rest into, the, into Jeremiah, uh, God's call on Jeremiah and God's call on us. Uh, next week, we're going to be doing... Uh, the image that we're using is one that ha- I, uh, man, the first time I read it, 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 I was, it almost felt like a lightning strike. It was, uh, yeah, it, it's one that I just can't quit thinking about, which, which again, is the point, right? But I'm just telling you, it worked really well for me. Uh, and so uh, I'm really excited about next week. I hope you all can be back with us. Uh, now, if you would stand, I want to dismiss us all with a blessing. Um, Paddles, I just want you to remember as you go, uh, the same promise that God made to Jeremiah, God makes to us that uh, God will make us into a strong wall and preserve us so that we can be faithful to God's call, even when it is difficult, even when it seems like people who should be with us are against us. Uh, go knowing that God is with us, that God is protecting us, that God is preserving us, and that we can trust that through God we can come back together next week. Go in the grace and peace of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We'll see you soon.